All right, good morning. Great. For those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is John, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, we are getting things uh, started for the spring. Last week, we did sort of a New Year's message. And today, we are going to drop back into uh, our Romans series. We are in the process of going through the book of Romans. It is ultimately going to take us 30 weeks to do it, which sounds like a lot, but Romans is 15 chapters long, and it is dense. And so that is still flying through the book of Romans. And so we started that when school started back in the fall. We did the first uh, seven chapters. We're going to do a good bit more now up until Easter. We'll take a couple weeks. We'll take Good Friday and Easter off from the series, and then we'll come back to Romans again and finish it before summer comes. And so uh, you are dropping into the middle of this, but as Jess mentioned, there, a lot of this is online, and I'll kind of bring us up to speed today. Um, but for those of you that are new around here, we're doing something that we often do where we teach through a book of the Bible, um, but not only do we teach through in the message, but we're also soaking on it and learning all throughout the week. Uh, because Romans is, there's a lot here. There's a lot to get through, and I can't possibly do it all justice in 35, 45 55 minutes, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes. All right. They did mention, uh, Keith said that he was going to be the one, the reason that you didn't make it back for the early slate of NFL games. I will be the reason you do make it back for the early slate of NFL games. All right. Cause my team, the bills play, uh, red, uh, at one o'clock. But anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to let that hold us up. This is more important than football, but still, okay. This is, this is more important than football, but nevertheless, I don't see why we can't do both. Anyway, all right, so we've been going through, and this is what we do. This is the format that we do. Um, we teach through, and I try to, in the, in the message, give as much information and direction as possible in the Scripture because something like Romans can be difficult to understand at times, um, particularly certain phrasing or words that we translate into English, but we can't always do that really well because the languages, Greek and, and English, are not perfectly synonymous. And so we do the best that we can, but sometimes there's some explanation that needs to happen. Sometimes there are places where, for example, we're going to run into this um, in the, the text today where Paul is writing the book of Romans and he uses a particular phrase, but there are other gospel writers or biblical writers like John who use the same phrase, but they use it differently. And so it's important for us to understand what does Paul mean when he says this? And so we talk through that together here. And then during the week, we create a study guide. And the study guide is an opportunity to go deeper into Scripture, to cross-reference other Scriptures, to talk about application. What am I going to do with this? How does this change my life? How do I move forward based on what we learned? And um, when groups are meeting, that's what the groups use uh, if, during these series. They use the study guide that we create out of the message. Um, but groups aren't going to be starting for um, several weeks. I think February, the beginning of February, February 9th is when groups kick off. Um, and so until then, I'm still creating a study guide every single week, but I'm designing it more to be used personally. So it's, it's five questions this week that go through each section of Scripture here and let you go a little bit further with it and ask, what does this mean to me and how am I going to, what's going to change in me? And then there are also cross-reference scriptures, some other places that you can read, and then also some notes. And so I want to encourage you to use that uh, during the week, however you want to. You have access to that in the Church Center app. So you go into the Church Center app, and you click on Groups, and then you can select any group that you're in, and then hit Resources. 
and you'll have the study guides in front of you. If you aren't in a group yet on the Church Center app, I created one called Romans Bible Study. So you can just join that group and then you'll have access to the study guide. So whether you want to, you know, sit down today and go through all of that on your own or do it tomorrow or you want to do one question a day or if you want to do it with some other people or just by yourself, totally up to you. But I want to encourage you to, like, wring the most out of this that you possibly can. It's an opportunity not just to learn and to hear, but to process and to change. And ultimately, that's what we want to see happen. So when groups do come up in a few weeks, though, I want to strongly encourage you to join one of those groups because it's an opportunity to then discuss it with other people as well. Like, this is not a discussion environment in here, but it gives you a chance to talk through it and what it actually means with some other people. And so we'll have groups. Uh, we have a bunch that are available. I, I do want to say there are two groups that we want to get up and going. Uh, we don't have leaders for it yet, though. Like, as I'm looking around the room, I'm seeing a lot of you in, like, your, your mid to late 20s, early 30s stage of life. Um, and we would love to have a group for that age range of people. And then uh, we'd also love to have a, a, a group set up for people who have kind of like my stage of life, like teenagers, middle school, high school kids. No, I'm not a teenager. Did I say that? I didn't mean to say that if that's what I said. Far from it. Far from it. Waking up this morning, I was reminded that I'm no longer a teenager. I do sleep like one when I don't have to set an alarm, though. I sleep till 10 o'clock yesterday or something. But anyway, um, but we want to have a group for that age, uh, people who are in, you know, like it's the 40-ish sort of range of people. But we never start a group without a leader. And so we're looking for leaders for those two groups of people. If you're interested in that, uh, let me or let Jess know, and we'll make sure we get those going. All right? Um, but it's, it's something we do. It's really it's really. Um, I won't say it's unique because other churches do it, but it's special to us when we go through series like this. We've done John this way, we've done James this way, and now we're doing Romans this way. And we have covered a lot of ground over the last, uh, uh, the first part of this series. And so some of you are newer with us, and so I want to bring everybody up to speed and sort of, because we've taken a break, we need to knock the rust off and get back in the flow of Romans here. Um, And so first of all, we need to understand uh, who wrote Romans and why it was written. So it was written by Paul, the apostle. He wrote a, a good bit of the New Testament, uh, often in the form of letters, almost exclusively in the, the form of letters. And um, this one is to Christians who are in Rome. Now, when we think about Rome, typically I think of like the Roman Empire, like power and prestige and military dominance and taking over the world and at one time the global superpower, right? This is this is just before that happens. So Rome is essentially on the upswing, okay? They are, they are rising into prominence. And Paul is actually born a Roman citizen, even though he ends up being a Pharisee. He is a Roman citizen, and so he has a connection here. And I think that he understands, I give, think God has given him insight into the strategic importance of the city of Rome and what it's going to become. And he writes this letter to the Christians, to the church in Rome, but there actually yet is not a church in Rome. There's no centralized church in Rome. Obviously, we know eventually we're going to have the Holy Roman Empire and the Catholic Church all rolling out of this, but at this point, there is no centralized church there. It is a collection of house churches around the city. Most of the people in these churches are Roman, and so they don't have the whole Jewish heritage and background. However, the people that are leading these house churches in Rome, most of them are Jewish or were Jewish before accepting Christ. And so they, they are the ones leading it. And Paul, understanding how strategically important Rome is going to be, 
He wants to be sure that they have a well-grounded theology and doctrine and that they're unified in what they believe and how to apply it. So the book of Romans really goes from A to Z as far as what it means to be a Christian and how we should think about God and how we should think about our life. And he lays it out very systematically. And so that's a great way to move through it. Um, and so just to bring everyone up to speed on the chapters, and again, you, if you miss these, you can go watch the messages on these. But essentially in the first chapter and a half, so chapter one through the middle of chapter two, Paul is setting the bad news. I felt like we were talking about bad news forever. I was so sick of talking about bad news. I gave the last message of the bad news to Jeremy. I didn't even want to do it. I was like, Jeremy, you talk about the bad news for once. And so the bad news, of course, is that there is nothing that we can do to earn salvation. There is nothing we can do to earn justification or being justified or made right before God. And people try tooth and nail. They try lots of different ways, but he gives bad news for moralists. People think they can just be a good enough person in order to um, be in God's presence and, and be right before him. He gives bad news for religious people, people who think that they can just keep a set of moral or religious rules and be good enough in order to be justified before God. And eventually he just puts the nail in the coffin. He says, no, nobody, nobody, nobody is good enough. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And so the problem is none of us can get there on our own. So he gives the bad news. That's uh, chapters 1 through the middle of 2. And then from the middle of 2 through 4, he gives the good news. I was so happy when we got to the good news, <laughs> all right? And that's that, yes, we can't by our own self-effort be justified before God, but God made a sacrifice through his son, Jesus. And Jesus Christ gave his life and paid for, uh, paid for our sin on the cross, and it's only by putting our faith in him for salvation that we can be saved. We can't do it on our own. We have to put our faith in Jesus for salvation, who died on the cross, was put into the grave, and rose again. And that is good news. It is good news that he did that for us because we couldn't. We couldn't. He did for us what we couldn't. And so we are justified. This is the terminology, and again, we need to make sure we understand the terminology, that Paul says we are justified through Christ, okay, that made right before God. So we are justified. And so for this portion of Scripture, he's talking about how to be justified. And that's a little confusing because we today use the word saved, right, to, that someone is saved. Paul uses the word justified. And then after chapter 4, he switches. He changes gears. I called it a hinge chapter. Chapter 5 is a hinge chapter where he switches gears from talking about how to be justified before God, and then he starts using the terminology about being saved. This is why it can be confusing. So he says, you're justified through Jesus Christ. But then he wants to save you. And we have to shake off our preconception that he's talking about justification when he uses the word saved. Because he's not talking about that. He's talking about how to be saved from the world, from the penalty of sin. How to be saved from the evil and the corruption in the world and how to rise above it. How, how God wants to draw us up out of it and through it. Now that we are justified, he wants to save us from the world. Right, So we have to keep that terminology straight. And he starts talking about that in chapter 5 and then into chapter 6. And the hinge, the hinge verse um, comes when he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, okay, having been justified by faith, that's a done deal, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So this is, the, this is the turning from what's done to what is going to be done. We have access to grace that we stand in and that we walk in. And then he begins talking about how we do that, what that actually looks like, that we can do that confidently, that we need to start the, the process of transforming our minds and our hearts. If you remember this terminology, we, he said that we need to reckon ourselves dead to sin. It's a change of mind. We need to reckon ourselves dead to sin. We've been justified by Jesus, and now we need to walk in the grace that we have and reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. So this is about what we're doing now and how we're doing this. All right? And that's what we need to do. And then in chapter 7, he starts talking about how we do it. Okay? So 5 and 6 is the what, and chapter 7 begins the how. So how do we stand in this grace? How do we walk in this grace every single day? What is that, where does that come from? Well, chapter 7, and this was right before we started our Christmas series. Chapter 7, he said, let me tell you how we don't do it. You don't do it by walking again in the law. It's not by lo- keeping the law like you used to do it. He said the law is not capable. Not only is the law not capable of saving us, the law is not capable of making us righteous either. In fact, he said, I found, he said, he said, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the rules are, but I can't seem to do it. So what is the problem? He said, part of the problem is that the law continually shows us that we fall short, that we can't earn, that, that, we, can't, that we can't be good enough on our own, that we don't have the strength or the power, that we have sin within us, all right? And so the law, in fact, what the law often does is it inspires more sin. When there's the, uh, those rules, those regulations, that straitjacket that is put on people, it actually inspires more sin. It doesn't save us from it. And I was thinking about a great example of that. Uh, two weeks ago, I was up on a ladder, okay, up on the top of a ladder, fiberglass ladder. It's got the plastic top on it. And I was at the top of the ladder. And, of course, you're not supposed to stand on the top step of a ladder. Okay? Not saying I've never done it. Not saying I don't do it probably every time I use a ladder. But I was up near the top of the ladder, and I looked at the top. Uh, they, they have an imprint, and one of the imprints is a, is a person standing on the top of the ladder, the top step, and then it has a circle around it with, with a cross through it. You've probably seen that, right? Like, don't do this. And I was like, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do that. Um, and then I looked over on the other side of the ladder, and it had a guy sitting on the top of the ladder, like a seat, and it had a circle with a line through it. And I looked at that, and I was like, that's a great idea. You know, I, never, I never thought about that before. <laughs> rules, rules have a way of giving us ideas, you know. Like, oh, I never thought about doing that. And so Paul actually says it does that. It does that to us, that the law is not the method through which we are so we use these terms, okay? Um, they're theological terms. But to be made right before God is to be justified. All right. And then he begins a process in us of being sanctified, of being made holy, of being made pure. So the law is not the method by which we are justified, nor is the law the method by which we are sanctified. He says it doesn't work like that. So how does it work? Because he was so frustrated trying to follow the law and trying to follow all the rules and please God. And uh, I just want to, for recap purposes, the last couple verses of chapter 7. This is his frustration. He says, O wretched man that I am. 
O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, he knows he's justified, right? He knows he's justified before God through Jesus Christ, his faith in Christ. But he still needs to be delivered from this body of death. He still needs to be transformed. He still needs to walk into righteousness and walk and stand in the, faith, in the grace that he has. Who's going to do it? How does it work? And he says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He's saying, I can't seem to beat it, but God gives me a way to beat it. And in chapter 8, he's going to tell us how. He's going to tell us how this works. And I I just want to, before we start reading in chapter 8, there are some of you who are with us who in your life, you have been fighting tooth and nail against sin. You've been looking at a list of rules and you've been comparing yourself to that and you've been trying to get better and you've been working really hard and you've been through, through willpower and effort and systems and all of these things. You've been trying to overcome this sin that seems to have power over you and you've been fighting and fighting and fighting and you've been losing and losing and losing. And you want to know how to win. Paul is going to tell you how in Romans chapter 8. And so I want to strongly encourage you not only to, to listen to what we're doing today and to go through this with us today, but to spend this entire week just letting this seep into your heart and into your soul. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Big verse. Big verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, this is a huge verse. This is a massive verse in the Bible. It's it's like a mile marker verse in the Bible. And there are a few things, detailed things, we need to talk about in this verse in order to understand it properly. First, I just want to say this because some of you may find if you're reading in other versions that this looks different in other versions of the Bible. And that's because in the two earliest manuscripts of Romans that we know of, the second half of that verse does not exist in those manuscripts. So it stops with, um, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's it. And there are certain English translations out there that base themselves on the earliest manuscripts, like the ESV and the NIV and a bunch of others. But then there are other versions, like the King James and the New King James, that base their translation on what's called the majority manuscript, the majority text. And that means the majority of the oldest manuscripts we have include this verse, but the two oldest ones don't. And so the translation we use here, the New King James, includes those verses. Regardless, as long as you're reading this verse properly, I don't think it makes a difference because Paul says the exact same thing in chapter 4, and that is in the older manuscripts, all right? So that's just something to be aware of. But if we understand the verse properly, it doesn't make a difference. If we understand the verse improperly, it could make a difference. And here's why. The word condemn that we have here, translated into English, isn't a great translation, into English from the original word. We just don't have a good, a better word to use than condemn. The, the word that Paul used was the Greek word katakrima. Katakrima. It's only used three times. Paul is the, is the only one who uses this word. He uses it here, and he uses it twice in chapter 5. 
And when he uses it in chapter 5, what it means, it doesn't mean we say condemn and we think about judgment or, or you know, we think of condemnation in the way we, we always use the word. But what he means by this word katakrima is servitude to sin, the control of sin over us. And so when he says there's no condemnation, he's not talking about justification. He's talking about the control of sin in our life. There is now, therefore, no control of sin to those who are in Christ Jesus and who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When Paul says, in Christ Jesus, he is talking about justification. And and it's important to point out because when John uses the term in Christ or abide in Christ, he's talking about fellowship with God or closeness with God. But Paul is talking about justification. So here's here's the, the, the landing spot in this. If we understand the words properly, then what Paul is saying is that if you are in Christ, if you are in, there's two things. If you are in Christ, means you're justified by faith in Jesus Christ, and you are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, then sin does not have control over you. If any one of those two things is not true, then it does. Paul is saying, who's going to deliver me from this control of sin? He says, here's how it works. I have to be in Christ Jesus, and I have to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. That's how we do it. And the problem is, for many of us, is that we try to be justified, but then walk in the flesh and think that we're going to have hope and life and peace and and freedom from sin and all that, and it doesn't work that way. We have to, as believers... We have to learn what it actually looks like to walk in step with the Spirit. We have to. If we don't, if we just go about our life as Christians, we will be saved, yes. We will be forgiven, yes. But we will waste our lives on worthless things if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and then go on living like everyone else and walking like everyone else. We have to, this is like, this is ninja status for Christians. Like, this is what we have to be best at. And if we are best at following the Spirit, hearing from Him, listening, obeying, and doing it, everything else in our Christian life falls into place. All the problems that we have as Christians come from walking in the flesh. Well, we don't have to do that. Because if we are forgiven by Jesus Christ and we walk in the Spirit, sin does not have to control us. That doesn't mean we won't wrestle with it. doesn't mean we won't fight with it. But it means that it does not own us. And that's really what the word condemn means here, to be owned by sin. All right, let's keep going. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so the connotation is here is, If I've been set free from the law of sin and death, why would I keep walking in it? Why would I do that? I mean, it's foolish just to say it, but we know that we do it. (laughs) And we continue to walk in the flesh in a human way and often in a sinful way. And we give it that power back. We don't have to. Four, uh, verse three, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. 
that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is like, for Paul, this is like the big reveal moment. Have you ever watched uh, like a show or maybe read a book if you're into that kind of thing? And you, like, all these pieces, you start getting all these bits of the story. All these characters are introduced, but you don't really know how it's all going to work out, you know, who done it or whatever. And you're waiting for all the pieces to come together, and you're, the questions are being created in your mind, and tension is being created in you as a viewer or as a reader. And then all of a sudden, there's that moment where all that comes together, where that tension is released, and finally you have the answer that you've been looking for. That's what Romans chapter 8 is. Because up until Romans chapter 8, Paul has only mentioned the Spirit three times over the course of seven chapters. And then in Romans chapter 8, he mentions him 20-ish times in one chapter. He said, yes, the problem, the problem, the bad news is our sinfulness and our, our disconnect with God. And Jesus is the answer to that. Now, the problem is I don't know how to live, and I keep trying to keep the law, and I keep trying to do all the religious things, and it's not working, and I don't have peace with God, and I just seem to be getting worse when I should be getting better. What is the answer to this? And Romans chapter 8 is Paul dropping the bomb and saying the answer is the Spirit. You have to learn how to walk with him and listen to him. He had been trying so hard to beat sin by sheer willpower and keeping the rules, and he couldn't do it. Jesus calls the Spirit the helper. He does in us what we are incapable of doing ourselves. He speaks to us, he leads us, and he empowers us to do all that God wants us to do. Paul had been fighting flesh with flesh, and that is a losing proposition. And so he goes on in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And when he talks about death and he talks about life, Paul is talking about the experience that we have now, the experience of life or the experience of death. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So people that are in the flesh, as opposed to being in Christ, people who are not believers, they can't please God at all with their life. Because we, in order to please God, we must do the things that are in and led by the Spirit. And if we're in Christ, and if we have the Spirit, why would we walk in the flesh? Why would we do that? Yet we do it all the time. The problem is that as Christians, we can, we can be in Christ, but be carnally minded. To be thinking about things of the world, to be focused on the things of the world, to be chasing after the things in the world, to go about things the way everyone else in the world goes about them, to follow only logic or for only reason or only whatever. We can be carnally minded as believers, and if we do that, we'll just waste our entire life. 
We'll spend our entire life on things that don't last and don't ultimately matter. But what a Christian is supposed to do is to become spiritually minded, to learn to think differently, to see things and people differently, to see the entire world differently, and to be focused on listening to and following the Spirit. And I know for some that may sound kind of mystical, but it's really not. Spiritual things are far more tangible than we give them credit for. We, we think that they're just emotional often or mystical or whatever. Wispy, that's the word I always think of in my mind, like they're just wispy. But they're not. The Spirit is very real. And he is with you and he is with me. Now, it takes a little bit of practice and learning to understand how to spiritually discern things and how to hear his voice and what a spiritual voice sounds like as opposed to a physical voice or an emotional voice or whatever else. And so we, this is something that we have to work on as a believer is learning how to hear him, how to recognize his voice. And the more that we commit ourselves to it, the better and better we're going to get at it. And I just, I think there are probably Christians, and this honestly was me for a long time, where I didn't really think about him. Like, I knew he was there, and I would call on him when I felt like I needed him or wanted him to do something. He was like a genie in a bottle. But he wasn't ever present with me. He was, but I wasn't allowing him to be. Maybe that's a way, that's a way. I wasn't recognizing his presence. Maybe that's a better way to say that. And so I wasn't asking him things, what I should do, and I wasn't listening only when the big stuff happened. And so I personally have been on a journey of trying to learn how to listen to him and involve him in little things because the little things all add up to big things. That's a personal journey that I've been on. And I'm definitely not fantastic at it, but I'm getting better and better day by day, month by month, year by year. And it doesn't always have to be massive things. I know we tend to go to him for massive things, but it doesn't have to be massive things, little things. And so I want to give you an example this week, and I'm not setting myself up as as the example of this or anything, but here's one time where it really worked, okay? I was leaving the office uh, or the family center. The family center is over by Chick-fil-A. And uh, I was done for the day. I had several errands that I had to run. I had to go to Coco Java, I think. Uh, I know, it's, it's it's a tough life. Lowe's, yes, that was one of them. I had to go to Coco Java. I'm very predict. I'm I'm very predictable. All right, I had to go to I had to go to Lowe's. I had to go to Coco Java. I had to go to the UPS store out on Jake Alexander Boulevard, and I had to go to Walgreens. All right, I think I need a toothpaste or no, I contact solution. Yeah, I need a contact solution. So I had to go to Walgreens. Those are my four things, and so I planned out the path that made the most sense to me, which was to go to Walgreens first, and then jump over to Lowe's, and then go down Jake Alexander Boulevard to the UPS store, then cut back through town, grab Coco Java, jump on Bringle Ferry Road, and head home. That's the straight shot home. So I like that all made sense to me. I had the the plan in my head, and I went out and I got in the truck, and I just took a second before I before I put it in drive and before I pulled out, and I said, where are we going first? Even though I had a plan of where we were going first, and the answer might have just been, you know, Walgreens. But it wasn't. It was weird, all right? And I've just learned how to discern this voice. And so I got in the car, and I said, where are we going first? And he said, Coco. I was like, okay. I guess we'll just do it backwards then, all right? It's not the most efficient way to do it. I'm just saying. It's not, you know, anyway. But we'll do it that way. So, I'm, you know, I'm thinking all my turns. And anyway, I'm like, okay, all right, fine, Coco first. And so went to Coco Java, 
everything normal. Just got got the uh, the things I needed there, and then uh, headed up headed up through. It, it wasn't coffee actually. Anyway, but that's another story. I was headed up through town. I went through town and I. Uh, Went out to Jake Alexander Boulevard to the UPS store, and I did what I needed to do there. Everything was normal. And then I went from there, and I drove down Jake Alexander Boulevard and down Faith Road and ended up at Lowe's, and I did what I needed to do at Lowe's, and everything was normal. And then I went from Lowe's, and I'm in my head, I'm like, why are we doing this? Why do we do it backwards? We're doing it wrong. I don't know why we did this wrong. And so then we went across to Walgreens, and I went in, and I got my contact solution and a couple other things, I'm sure, and then ended up at the, at the register. And I looked at the lady that was working behind the register, and I said, how you doing? And she said, not good, actually. I'm like, oh, has it been a hard day? Has it been a long day? What's happened? She said, no, she said, I'm really frazzled right now because a woman just came in and tried to steal a bunch of stuff. Like she had a, her cart or whatever. She had things covered up and she was trying to steal it. And I had to confront her about it. And it was a big scene. And she said, and I'm just like kind of worked up about it. And I was like, okay. And instantly in my head, I was like, what do I say? And I wasn't asking me what I said. I was asking him what I say. So what do I say? And um, I said, I said, so when do you, finish. Like, when do, you, when do you get off? She said, I'm almost done. She said, I only got about an hour left. I said, okay. And then in my head, I'm like, okay, what do I say now? He said, ask her what she's doing tonight. I was like, well, I'm not going to say it that way, but <laughs> like, I, I know. I'm not, I don't think, and I'm not sure that would make her day any better anyway, but um, so, so, so I said, well, do you have plans tonight? Do you have some plans after this? And she said, Actually, I do. She said, it's Wednesday, and so I get to be with my Awana kids tonight. I saw this smile come across her face. If you don't know what Awana is, it's a program that churches do for kids during the week and Bible memory memory verses, and it's a, it's a great program. And uh, she said, I get to be with my Awana kids tonight, and that's the best part of my week. And I said, that's fantastic. And she was like, I think my day's getting better. And she smiled. I said, all right, have a great day. And I walked out. And it wasn't anything that I did. I mean, I listened to him all the way through that and just asked him what to do. But she, if the whole thing, if going the wrong way was, was all so that her day, her, her mentality could be shifted from the negative thing that had just happened to the ministry that she was going to do that night, that's incredible. And all it took was the willingness to get in the truck and say, where are we going first? And then the practice that I've done over the years of being, understanding how to listen to him. And what's different than, a, than my thoughts or emotions or whatever. And it's tricky, and it can be difficult, but it is something that as Christians we are to commit ourselves to. And if we commit ourselves to that and listening to him, he will bless and honor that. And he will teach us, and he will lead us, and he will encourage us, and he will guide us. And if we want to walk into righteousness and holiness, which is to be our goal as a Christian, Christ-likeness, we have to have the Spirit in order to do it. We have to listen to him and follow him into that. If we try to do it with a list of rules and regulations and a new law, it's not going to work. Now, the Spirit may use things from the law. He may look back at the old law, and he may use things and say, yes, that's what I want you to do. Yeah, I, I want you to keep the Sabbath, or I want you to observe this festival, or I want you to do this thing. He may use that, but it is the Spirit who's leading and directing that, not a law that's dictating it. And that is the freedom that we have in Christ and the hope and the joy. And that when that happens, we get to walk in life. 
the difference is between being carnally minded and being spiritually minded. And so I got to ask, because I'm asked this of myself, which one are you? As a whole, and then more kind of down into the details, when are you each? Because I would suggest that, as, as, that for all of us, it's not all one or all the other. It's like a spectrum. There are times when we are carnally minded. There are times when we are spiritually minded. There are elements of our life in which we are carnally minded, and there are elements of our life in which we are spiritually minded. And the goal for us is for all of that to become spiritually minded. So what are you? So I want to offer just a few markers, I suppose, of what a spiritually minded person's life looks like from the outside. Now, that's not a perfect assessment, and you don't use this to assess other people. This is just for our own personal self-assessment to say, which one am I? When am I which? All right. So here are a few things. A spiritually minded person is not fearful. They are grounded in the peace that they have with God. A spiritually minded person does not consider faith a component of their life. It is the entirety of who they are. A spiritually minded person talks to and listens to God more than anyone else. A spiritually minded person allows God to define who they should be, not anyone else. A spiritually minded person doesn't look at themselves or other people as human beings, but as spiritual beings first. A spiritually minded person doesn't focus on fighting sin. They're focused on pursuing righteousness in the spirit. And that one's big, by the way. That is a massive difference. A spiritually minded person is not compelled to plan and control everything. I'm going to let that one sit for a second. (laughs) But they trust the Spirit patiently and wisely. A spiritually minded person does not define success in their life the way everyone else does. They define success the way that God does. And those are a few. Those are to get the wheels turning and thinking about where and how we are spiritually minded versus being carnally minded in our life. But the payoff is huge. The payoff is huge. And verse 9, we're going to go through verse 11 today. In verse 9, he says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now, this is a verse we have to be careful with because people have misused this verse. And they have used it to say that if there aren't certain signs of the Spirit, then you're not saved. That's not what this verse is saying. He's using a reverse logic here. So essentially what he's saying is that if you are his, then you have the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, then you should walk in the Spirit. Right? That's if you run that those verses backwards. He says, and verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, 
but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the path to life. This is the path to experiencing the joy and the hope and the life and the freedom that God originally created us for before sin came in and messed the whole thing up. And instead of walking in that sin and walking in death, we need to walk in life and righteousness, and that is through listening to, following, and walking with the Spirit. Some of you have been fighting so hard And you need to let go and let the Spirit transform you instead of trying to do it yourself. Some of you have been fighting against God. You've been finding every reason not to believe in him or not to accept him, not to trust Christ. You've been fighting so hard, and you need to let go. You need to let go, and you need to trust Jesus Christ for salvation. Believe in his death on your behalf and his resurrection and trust him to save you. Stop trying to do it yourself. Some of you have been so hard, fighting so hard to keep up appearances. You've just been fighting so hard for people to see you a certain way. And so you've been following all the rules and doing all the right things and posting all the right things. And you need to let go. And you need to be stop being so concerned with, with how other people are judging you. And you need to be more concerned about who God wants you to be and who he wants you to become and to walk with him instead of what everyone else is telling you. Some of you have been fighting so hard against sin in your life. There's a particular sin or there are multiple sins that you keep going back to over and over and over again. And you've done everything that you can think of to stop doing that thing. And you've been fighting in the flesh, and you've been fighting on your own. And you need to let go. And you need to ask the Spirit to draw you into righteousness. You need to take your eyes off of what is carnal. You need to take your focus and your attention off of the sin. And put your eyes on the Spirit and let Him, to, let him draw you out of it into he, who He wants to make you. Not who you are now. Who He wants to make you and transform you into. And so you need to let go of that control and you need to let go of that sin and you need to learn to listen to and follow and chase after the spirit who he's transforming you into. The point of this whole thing is we need him. We not only need him for justification, we need him for life. We need him in order to change. We need him in order to move forward. We need him in order to progress. We need him in order to do anything that matters, anything that is pleasing to him. And so, you know, we're at a part of the year where a lot of decisions are being made. There's not a better one to make. Well, except him as Savior, that would be be the one. But then those of us that have made that decision, I want to hear the Spirit more this year. I want to walk with him more. I want to learn how to listen for him. I want to talk to him about the little things so that this year I can walk in life. 
we need him. We not only need him to inspire us to do that, we need him to walk with us through it. And so let's take a moment together to pray. We're going to take all of this to him. And I'll, I'll be speaking and praying for us, but you be praying on your own. What, what you know you need to say to him, what you need to commit to him, what you're asking him for. All right, Father, we come to you and recognize our need for you. The things that we do, we, in our culture, we celebrate the power of the human spirit. And even though human beings are powerful and do many good things, and uh, there's so much that we can accomplish, we know that that falls short of your glory. Forgive us for thinking that we could save ourselves, we could be good enough to even begin to compare to your glory, we cannot. And so we want you to know first and foremost, Jesus, that we trust you. We trust you for salvation. And we know that we have, those of us that have made that decision before, we have been justified and that we have peace with you, God, through Jesus Christ. Maybe someone with us today, God would be making that decision for the first time, putting their faith in you for salvation. And they too, if they trust Jesus for salvation, right now they are justified before you and they have peace with you. But then God, that is not the end of it, not by a long shot. You want to walk with us and teach us and mold us and transform us. You want to teach us what it means to live in the life and the peace and the joy and the hope that you created us for. And so you're doing that. And again, forgive us for thinking that we could do that on our own. You have given us the Spirit, and he walks with us. He is in us. And so we want, and I'm just going to commit for all of us together right now, we want to walk fully in step with him. And so we express our desire right now to you, God. We want to hear from you. We want you to teach us how to listen, how to perceive. We want you to do the process of transformation beginning in our heart and in our mind. That we would take our eyes off of earthly, fleshly carnal things, that you teach us to think spiritually, to hear spiritually, to look at situations spiritually, to look at people spiritually, to look at ourselves spiritually, and that as you do that in us, that you would begin to guide us into the things you want us to do, things that may be outside of our plans but that are in yours. Teach us how to submit ourselves fully to you, to hear and to walk. And we know that as we do that, that you are going to do in us, you're going to inspire thoughts that we wouldn't have on our own and feelings that we wouldn't have on our own. We know that you're going to lead us to do things we wouldn't do on our own and that you're going to empower us in ways that we couldn't possibly do on our own. And we just want you to know that we are opening ourselves up to that. That we make our life and our thoughts and our relationships and our influence, we make it fully available to you to do whatever you want to do in it. 
And so continue to teach us and grow us and make us more and more spiritually mature. And as we do that, we know that your promise is true, that as we do that, we will experience life. You are so good. The fact that you would make a way for us to do this, to walk in this life, is beyond our comprehension. Because we don't for a second deserve it. But you are so good. And you are so loving and you are so kind. You are so merciful and gracious. Not only to give us your son, but to give us the spirit. And so we can say thank you, God, and we do. But it is our life and our actions and our words that express our praise and thanks. Our faithfulness to you because of your faithfulness to us. And so God, we place our lives in your hands and we want you to know that we love you and that we will follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.